Welcome to At Work in America, sponsored by Paychex. We welcome a wide and exceptionally impressive array of guests, business leaders, HR leaders, academics, practitioners, consultants, and authors, to talk about the most timely, relevant, and challenging issues that are influencing the workplace today. At Work in America digs in behind the headlines and trends to the stories of real people making a difference in the world of work. And now here are your hosts, Steve Bowes and Trish McFarland-Steed. Everyone, we have a great show today. Trish, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am great. I am super excited about today's show. Trish, we are going to be talking about one of our favorite subjects that we've covered a few times here on the podcast, which is uh, hiring in the, the neurodiverse or neurodivergent kind of talent pool and the importance of hiring neurodiverse candidates and setting a level playing field, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a great topic and I can't wait to dig into it. Yeah, me too. I know we've had so many shows lately just on the challenges people are having, you know, sort of as the pandemic rolls on with great resignation and, and, you know, tapping into untapped talent pools, right? That's something everyone is wanting to do and may not know how to do. So hopefully we'll give some good suggestions and clear that up a little bit today. So let's get into it. We have two guests today. Our first guest is Tracy Powell-Rudy. She is Integrate Autism Employment Advisors Vice President of Corporate Engagement and contributing author for their new book, The Neurodivergent Candidate, Recruiting Autistic Professionals. She's also co-author of the recently published Journal of Intelligence article, Examining the Use of Game-Based Assessments for Hiring Autistic Job Seekers. Tracy, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. We also have today uh, Dr. Colin Willis. He is a senior IO psychology consultant at HireVue. In addition to developing, validating, and implementing selection assessments for customers, Colin also researches ways of improving pre-hire assessment predictability and reducing bias and adverse impact in selection decisions. His current research interests focus on the intersection between neurodiversity, emerging HR technologies, and hiring fairness. Colin, how are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great. Or should I should it be Dr. Colin? If oh, I were no. you, I'm sorry, if I were you, I'd make everybody call me doctor, like all the time. Including my family, right? Yeah, the only time that ever came up was on wedding invitations. <laughs> yeah, it's impressive though. Except you don't want to be that person though, like on an aircraft or a cruise yeah, ship exactly. or something, and they call it for a doctor in a, in, a, in a crisis and they're looking at you like, wait, you're a doctor. I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Not that kind. Yeah. Well, great. Uh, thanks guys for joining us. This is a super topic, uh, one that we're passionate about. And uh, we're so glad that that uh, you could join us today. I think I think I want to start first off with kind of uh, some of the story, like what kind of, maybe I'll, I'll throw it to you first, Tracy, what kind of brought you and Integrate Autism to the, the stuff you're doing with employers and then subsequently with HireVue? Kind of what's, what's some of the background that you could share? Yep. So a few years ago, we started working with a global financial services company. Uh, and our process when we start autism hiring programs is uh, to start with an assessment. Um, and, um, and that's right before we start to train and educate the organization. And then we start to source candidates. And so as we finished our assessment, literally at the end of that session, the uh, person who was responsible for the program asked us if there was a way we could present this slate of candidates for them in about two weeks time. And, and anyone who works in the recruiting field knows that's really, really fast. Um, and they explained to us that they were installing this new system called HireVue 
and they were concerned that this system might weed out autistic candidates. So after that meeting, we took a look at the HireVue website and I reached out to uh, then HireVue CEO, Kevin Parker, and said that that was an issue that had been raised in our assessment with a mutual client. And it was, does HireVue create any challenges or impediments to success for neurodiverse individuals? specifically around those individuals whose tone, word choice, and facial movements um, during interviews might be, or during a video interview, might be quite different than their neurotypical peer. And Kevin replied literally within a day and said, we'd love to learn more about how we might collaborate. Um, and since then, we've been working with HireVue on a number of related initiatives in the space with a kind of a shared objective of turning the unemployment and underemployment numbers upside down for autistic individuals. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. The thing that strikes me as you were speaking about the impetus is really that it sounds like these aren't things that are necessarily conscious choices that employers are making or some sort of, you know, thing that they're, um, they're doing on purpose, right? So not, yeah, not thinking yeah. about how tone or, or word choice or visual affect might impede an interview, right? It's But it still is something so important that they really need to be thinking about this, especially in this market, right? Well, I think, in, and I would let Colin talk to the fact that um, actually HireVue does not measure um, things like uh, tone and facial affect. Um, that is not, not a feature in the system at this time. But um, if you look at the typical recruiting process, it's really very much a social process. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's involving things like impression management and uh, self-monitoring behaviors that that Colin talks to in the, in the study that we put out there as well. So the data actually shows that interviewers will make a decision about whether or not they're moving a candidate forward in the first 90 seconds of the conversation. 65% of those individuals will say that they will rule somebody out if they don't make eye contact. And then I believe it's 40% said that they felt a lack of smile is a reason not to hire a candidate. So, you know, the other thing that we also are aware of is, and I'm generalizing here, but, you know, our candidates, autistic candidates can be singularly focused on their academic success while in college. So they're not necessarily having internships and they're not having, um, neurotypical resumes presenting to their, to their interviewers. So when you think about all these factors, you can kind of understand why maybe a typical autistic college graduate might not be able to get through these, the unintentional barriers that are being created in our selection process. Yeah, I think that's the, to me, that was really the thing that stood out reading the literature was just how um, social the typical selection process is. So taking a step back, right, from higher view and from technology-aided um, selection tools, just sitting down with someone and interviewing with them is a game of, uh, you know, smiling, nodding, getting along, anticipating what they're going to say, um, reading between the lines. You this know, is a- this weird dance of this interpersonal, I'm quoting for folks who are just listening to this, this interpersonal connection and social skills, right? And I feel like we've uh, all been kind of, tra- I don't know, traditionally we've wanted to evaluate those things and we we rate them kind of uh, highly, right? In a selection process. Like, the, oh, it's, yeah. I mean, if you want to oversimplify it, the classic, oh, I could see myself, you know, going out for a drink after work with this person, 
right? Like that that level of connection, which is weird. I, I yeah. mean, as we think about it now. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, you know, an issue that, you know, higher view, I think has always tried to, you know, change the story about a little bit, right? Is we've gotten so used to this idea of sitting down with someone having that conversation and that interview and that be kind of the de facto standard for what a good selection practice looks like. But as you said, there's so much kind of bias that kind of creeps into that, right? It's like, do I like this person? Did they go to the same school I went to? Do I want to have a drink with them? And those things aren't job related, right? They're not going to actually predict whether or not you, you do a good Good job um, at that company. And that's where kind of these kind of steps come into play is what can we take out of the hiring process that's biased and not job related and keep all the things that are still good about it? Yeah. Colin, do you think that being in a pandemic now where we're not doing the typical hiring process anyway, and not only that, we're, we're working on video, do you think now that the rest of us have been thrown into a very uncomfortable maybe situation where it's very difficult, even, even as we're recording this today, right? It's, it's difficult to convey eye contact sometimes with the camera, you know, versus being in person. Do you think that the rest of us now being um, put in situations where we are not maybe communicating in that typical comfortable way, will that help people when we all do kind of start going back to the, the workplace, do you think, or is that hard to tell at this point? Yeah, I think it, it's kind of open for debate. I, I would say that it definitely helps in, in the sense that, you know, even 2019 before the pandemic, the idea of talking to a camera and video interviewing, just recording your answers was really strange, right? You know, right. there wasn't an interview on the other side for a lot of our assessments. And that's, I think, way more normalized now. It makes sense, right? Like, I don't want to go into the office. I don't want to risk getting sick. I don't want to go meet someone in person. So this is a totally acceptable way to interview now. Um, and I think just the increased um, reliance now on virtual technologies, right, using Slack or Teams, Zoom, um, I think just opens up the idea of, you know, communication can take many forms and we don't need all of the kind of, you know, soft interpersonal, you know, you know I'm going to kind of smile at you or not and all that to, to get my job done. There have been a few benefits from our perspective for, for uh, autistic employment relative to, to COVID. A lot of the companies now are, have virtual employees. And for some autistic individuals, that has been a, a real boon. Um, the other aspect is um, for individuals who are autistic, anxiety can be a, a co-occurring experience. And um, I think as a result of COVID, we have a population um, that that really understands what it feels like to be anxious now. You know, neurotypical or autistic alike um, understand anxiety and, and have lived it. Um, so there's, you know, more understanding and, and compassion around an individual who discloses that they're um, maybe prone to uh, experiencing more anxiety as well. And um, we have actually seen an uptick in activity in our recruiting space over the last year, um, you know, not compares to nothing like what we saw before. Um, and, and I should just kind of qualify that with, you know, the incidence rate for autism is one in 44 individuals that are diagnosed. And that's eight-year-olds who are being diagnosed as autistic. Um, the journal of pediatrics actually says that number is really more one in 40. And if you are in the state of New Jersey, they report that the number is one in 34. And again, that's eight-year-olds year, eight who are being diagnosed. Of those individuals, we know that at least a third, about 35%, go on to some form of post-secondary education, college and university. And for those individuals who graduate, 
the unemployment or underemployment rate is somewhere between 75 and 85%. So just to kind of give you that picture of what we're talking about in terms of looking at an inclusive recruiting process that is not necessarily totally based on your social performance and your interpersonal skills, and that provides for a, a supportive environment and a company that's inclusive where you can disclose as well, right? You know, without those things in place, it's been obviously very difficult for our talent pool to find an inclusive competitive employment. Um, and that's what's changing. And that's what our work with, with HireVue has been all about. And by the way, HireVue is walking the walk and talking the talk. They, as part of our work with them, uh, began an autism hiring program where they brought an individual on board versus a, as a uh, intern. And then ultimately was, were so pleased with her performance that they converted her to a full-time hire. And we are engaging with them now to discuss another uh, number of hires as well to bring on board. Um, so they're, they're living and breathing and uh, as well. Yeah, I would just like to add, it's sad, right? She has actually left Higher View, but has gone on to do even bigger and better things. And I think because of, of that, you know, she's been able to kind of go and, and find, you know, really where her passion is and that she can succeed at work and sad to lose her, but at the same time, so great that she has kind of gotten that professional confidence to go on and do the next thing. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. First of all, just there are so many things I'm like writing notes frantically as you're both talking. And I'm glad that we have this time with you because I know Steve probably is doing the same thing over there. So I'll, I'll make mine sort of quick and then we'll let Steve chime in. But um, Tracy, you mentioned about diagnosis one in 44, and that's obviously a lot more diagnosis than in the past. My question is, do you think that, well, two things, why do you think there are more diagnoses now than ever before, right? Maybe when we were all younger. And second follow-up to that is because of the early diagnosis, are you finding that school systems, whether that be, you know, grade school, high school, or even you mentioned, you know, college students, is that going to ultimately help those of us who are already in the workplace um, in working and communicating with people who might be on the autism spectrum? Um, so as I answer that question, I'll give you, an, when we're working with companies, we talk about interview questions and we talk about um, interviewing strategies and techniques um, that are autism friendly. Um, and your question um, is an example of a nesting question. So it's a question in a, in a question in a question. Was um, a bad example? Uh, was a- <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. So, um, that requires a, an ability to use, um, have a really strong working memory. And when you're looking at some of the things that can impact an autistic person's performance, um, one of the things that they can struggle with um, is something called executive function, executive functioning skills, and that's working memory. So um, I say that because I'm late diagnosed as autistic. And one of the things that I discovered um, is that my working memory is not great. So as I'm formulating and trying to hold on to the question, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to start with the last part of the question and then go to the first part of the question. And now that I've talked about this whole other issue, it's going to be hard for me to to grab back to the first part. So um, sharing that with you is one of the things that we talk about in our training when we work with companies, right? Or these are some of the challenges Um, and meeting an autistic person so they can bring their whole self to work and, and answer that question in an informed appropriate manners is one of the things that we talk about in the training. So um, with that, um, drawing on my working memory, normally what I would do is write down, make some notes, Mm -hmm. 
to help compensatory strategy, right? Um, but uh, I don't have a, because I'm not a, a medical practitioner or scientist, I don't feel that I have a really great answer for why the incidence rate is what it is. Um, there's probably a number of factors that contribute to that, including the fact that we are, are much more focused on in, um, looking at early intervention and diagnosing at an earlier age. And there's actually a lot of research now that's coming out there about using um, MRI techniques and the like to look at um, the different ways that different brains function and identifying those individuals early on. What we do know is that early intervention has been really successful. And, and that's in the data that I mentioned earlier in terms of that we have a good 35% of autistic individuals that are going on to college and graduating from these you know, institutions of, of higher learning, including you know, RIT and MIT and Caltech and, and UCLA and, and all over, all over the, the country. Shout out you, RIT Tigers. I spent some time there, Tracy. How about that? Didn't, didn't know that, but glad I mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, early diagnosis and more effective diagnosis, um, neuropsych evaluations that are available. And, and I think that's probably a tribute, a credit to some of the, our, our school districts and, and focus and awareness. Um, you know, for pediatricians as well. Um, so now see it. Now I'm going to pay the second part of the question um, was, I want to make sure I'm, I'm answering. Both. No, the, so the second part then is now that we have people who are being maybe diagnosed or identified earlier, do you think that that will help employers ultimately? Because they're maybe getting different, tre- I don't want to use the word treatment. That's probably not the right word. So Apologies if it's not developing, just developing better support, skills. support in coping during their mm-hmm. education to prepare them to be more accepted in the workplace. You, you know, I think it's just like when you're recruiting, it's all about fit and kind of matchmaking. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing here. Um, our focus, we're an employer focused organization. Integrate is. So when we work with companies, it's all about creating an autism friendly organization. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we start with assessment, which is how it is a company, um, what are their recruiting practices and processes typically? And are those processes inadvertently screening out autistic talent? Marathon super day interviews, not necessarily conducive to an autistic employee's success. Um, interview questions that um, might um, inadvertently screen out autistic talent, job descriptions that are written in such a way that if you're a really moral, honest, black and white, literal concrete thinker might have you self-select, right? And not even apply, which by the way, I think it was Google that that had cited the fact that if you had a job description and you were a woman and you met seven out of 10 of the requirements listed, you would not apply. Their male counterparts, three out of 10, right? So you're just talking about a difference in, um, for, for whatever reason, that's you know a gender difference, but a, an autistic individual might read that job description and say, well, I only have nine out of 10 of what they're asking for. And those are 10 requirements. So I'm not even going to apply because why would they want me to apply if I don't have all 10 out of 10 that they've listed as requirements. So that's, we, you know, we, when we work with companies, we bring that autistic lens to their entire process. And then we look at how we might 
subtly tweak that process to make it more inclusive for those individuals. And so creating an inclusive environment and then creating a brand that can be recognized as being inclusive is going to attract this talent that would feel comfortable disclosing, would feel comfortable sharing, would feel that they were able to put their, their best self forward in an interview. Um, and you know, so that that's our goal. And we hope to not be here in 10 years. You know, our, our mission is to help companies identify, recruit, and retain autistic talent um, with the goal being that once you are autism friendly and you know how to do these processes and practices um, all the way through onboarding the individual, um, that you won't need us anymore. So that's that's our story. Right. So it won't be it, it, you, recruiting and hiring neurodiverse friendly recruiting won't be a thing anymore. It'll just be recruiting, right? That's the goal, right? That's the end point that you, you'd hope to reach, right? Um, I think that's and, great. I, um, Tracy, you, you mentioned assessments and Colin, I did want to go right to you yeah. next to talk a little bit about that because, right, we know so often in just, just normal recruiting, right? Some type of a, an assessment or a background check or quiz, whatever you want to call it is the fr literally the front gate to the hiring process. So I'd love maybe uh, Colin for you to share a little bit about, about that just, and then what you guys have done and what some of the research showed around some of the game-based assessments that, uh, that candidates have to uh, often interact with as, as they begin the, the recruit recruiting process. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I just want to go to kind of start with that. We want to go back actually to uh, Trisha's question around the incidence rate of autism um, and, you know, and talking about how that's changed over time. And as Tracy pointed out, you know, a lot of it is about improved detection, right? You know, a lot of different factors essentially boil down to, we're just finding more people with autism than we did before. Um, you know, the base rate in, in other words, in my mind, hasn't necessarily changed, which means if you think about today, right, there's not really a wave of, you know, autistic candidates coming into the workforce in the next 10 plus years, they're already here, we just don't know that they're here. Um, and that I think has really big implications for how organizations you know, think about their talent pools today. Because we talk about people with autism diagnoses, right? In terms of placing them into programs, in terms of conducting research on them. But there's a huge pool of undiagnosed people with autism who are struggling to get employment just the same as people with diagnoses are, but they don't understand why. Um, and traditional recruiting practices kind of put a barrier up there. And you know, there's kind of this, un no one knows why, but there's this disconnect in, in kind of the, the field there. And to Tracy's point, I think, you know, as we get better about recruiting practices, that starts to go away as well too, right? If, if recruiting practices improve in a way that become autism friendly, people who don't have diagnoses today suddenly start to find opportunities that they didn't have before. Um, and I think that's really where assessments can come into play because if our assessments are fair at the start of the recruiting process and they're you know, essentially equitable for people who are neurotypical or who are autistic, then that difference starts to kind of melt away. Um, and so what we were looking at uh, really kind of one of the first projects that our partnership between ourselves, HireVue, Integrate, and then Colorado State University, we brought in uh, Dr. Josh Prasad and his lab to help us with the research and add that academic lens. Uh, we wanted to see whether a game-based assessment uh, would essentially be a, a fair way of making kind of an early decision about a candidate, whether to move them forward or not. Um, 
assessments in general, as you said, Steve, are essentially ways of determining whether a candidate is a good fit for a job. And that can take many different forms from a knowledge test, right? You think about like, oh, do I need to know X, Y, or Z? Um, you know, do I need to have certain data skills, whatever? Um, it could be a personality test. It could be a cognitive test. Um, there's all sorts of different ways. You know, it could even be, you know, can you lift 50 pounds, right? There's all sorts of different ways that can companies can put kind of, you know, guidelines around who do they kind of restrict the funnel down to get kind of their top candidates. Um, HireVue has taken um, the, what we call a cognitability test, which is uh, actually one of the most robust predictors of job performance in the scientific literature. Essentially, you know, are you, do you possess the cognitive abilities like, as Teresa said, working memory, executive function, pattern recognition, verbal reasoning, um, you know, essentially the more you have those, typically the better you are gonna be at a job, whatever that job is. Um, in the past, those types of tests have been proctored by people. Um, they've been, they have cultural biases, they're long, they're not very candidate friendly, um, they're very anxiety provoking, um, even for people who are neurotypical. And we thought, well, what, can we take something else that's emerging in the literature, gamification, and apply that to cognitivity? Gamification is really the idea of taking things about games, literally like video games, um, that make them, you know, you know, if we've ever played anything on our phone or on a console, you're really engaging, right? You really want to play them, um, taking some of those features and applying them to tests. So we took things like leveling up um, badges, colors, sounds, uh, and, and redesigned kind of the old school cognitivity game into or test into a game to measure the same thing, but do it in a way that is quicker, seamless, um, is a little bit more candidate friendly, um, and we have a whole suite of these games. And that's what we use to essentially see whether or not um, autistic candidates perform the same or different than the general population on them. Um, so that's the research we did. And that's the paper that we published. And we found that there was um, really no difference between the two groups. And one, we actually did two different kind of game packages. One package, um, autistic candidates scored slightly higher, but not you know significantly higher in the state. And the other game package slightly lower, but again, not significantly lower. So really the two groups are almost identical to one another and their performance on these games, um, which is really encouraging evidence that there are ways out there of kind of finding and selecting talent regardless of autism status um, and getting those people into organizations where they would they will succeed. And I think what that does, Steve, is that overcomes an objection that might be consciously or unconsciously uh, formulated by an interviewer we've found with some of our uh, clients is that we will have, or we use higher view or we'll have some other skills-based assessment if it's a, you know, a technology position or a finance and accounting position where we have our individuals who go through our own vetting process before we present them to our clients as, as work-ready candidates. Uh, we'll, we'll have them do that skills assessment and present that result to the interviewer or the recruiter before we present the candidate so that they are now looking at that and are well disposed to that individual regardless of how they might present. Maybe they don't make eye contact or they speak with a more kind of vocal prosody like a professor, if that's the case. And I, you know, I'm stereotyping, um, but that's, you know, I think the, the success is in overcoming an objection before it's articulated either verbally or in just in, in someone's own own mind. So anything we can do to facilitate that, which goes back to training and education, which is a, a, 
one of our four pillars in terms of our approach, which is really critical, you know, level setting expectation and, and creating an environment where an individual, a manager knows what, what are hidden curriculum issues? Uh, what's, what's theory of mind? You know, how can I be an effective manager for somebody who is more literal? Um, so just, you know, creating that awareness, which, you know, as we all know, it's, it's, I think it's changed attitudes lead to changed behavior, which ultimately will hopefully lead to opportunities for these individuals. And we've got a huge untapped talent pool of these college graduates who are, can be really contributing individuals in, in organizations and be successful as long as the organization is, is autism friendly and creates that environment for them to be successful. Tracy, have you found that the organizations you're working with, once they go through some amount of education, are not just receptive to change, but are actually then doing even more than what they might have anticipated because it's going so well? Are you, are you seeing that? Yeah, I think where we see the greatest success is typically where we have an executive champion in an organization, somebody who's willing to sponsor and put that focus on, on what we're doing. And that then ties in with their DEI organization or their HR and talent acquisition organization. Um, So that, that's where we see the, the quickest opportunity. Um, What we see happen time and time again is as we do our training and education, which is that critical part of what we do, um, we have individuals disclose. As soon as the company does outreach to their employees and saying, hey, we're engaging with Integrate and we're going to start this autism hiring program or participate Mm -hmm. in some way, shape or form, they will have individuals who will step up and say, "Um, I've been diagnosed or I have a family member who has been diagnosed. Uh, and we know from uh, the work of some of the leaders in this space, like you know J.P. Morgan Chase, SAP, Microsoft, that um, where you see an increase in employee engagement, I think it's for every one percent increase in employee engagement, you see a fifty million dollar revenue uptick as well. So you can talk about uh, some you know quantifiable benefits as well across the organization. Plus, managers just become more effective and thoughtful and strategic managers as as they become as they think about what they say, you know, because we don't necessarily mean what we say and say what we mean. Um, And so that's, you know, critical to success as well. But um, I think um, that executive sponsorship is, is, is key where we've seen success in getting the program off the ground. Um, Once you have individuals in the company who are comfortable disclosing and um, we've started that process, um, we don't see much in the way of, of objections. Once, once the process is started, I can't think of any company where it started and said, well, no, this is not okay. We're not going to do this. Yeah, that would be um, a really tough kind of stance to take, I would think, for most organizations. <laughs> like, no, I'm not for this, right? This doesn't make sense. Yeah, right. Where, where you, you can't run into problems is if, if you volunteer somebody to be engaged in this instead of sending somebody volunteer to be engaged as you get started. That's where we've seen some, some missteps. Um, and then we have some companies who've come to us and said, just send me resumes. I, I know what I'm doing. I don't need the education and training. And, and well, we've done that once um, and it does not work. Um, yeah. You know, we, we, we know what the understanding, the, the concepts and setting expectations and creating an environment for success is, is really, really critical. 
it's this is you know you guys wouldn't have heard this Tracy or, or Colin but Trish and I have just recorded a, a, sh a different show a recent show I think it'll be out now by the time people are listening to this show so I, I think I'll, I'll I can reference it to the listeners but it was about a different uh, untapped talent pool that we were uh, talking to someone about re-engaging back into the world of work. And it was uh, formerly incarcerated individuals, right? And we, we talked with a gentleman who's written an entire book about, about that subject and implemented that type of program in, in organizations. And what strikes me is some of the prerequisites, Tracy, and the best practices that you've discussed around uh, appealing and attracting and, and, and being more uh, inclusive of neurodiverse candidates were some of the exact same things this guy talked about when it talked about that talent pool, right? Executive sponsorship, education and training, support, commitment. Uh, he talked a little bit about measurement as well. And I imagine that's probably a, a product of uh, successful programs here too. But Trish, I mean, it, it was almost the same kinds of things, right? I, I, that's very, very curious to me. Well, I think it's because you were really needing to address I'm not the specific talent pool. It's more your internal reaction um, an interaction with people is the, is the problem, right? So it's, it goes back to what Tracy was talking about with education and with Colin talking about, you know, doing research and where the gaming shows, there isn't really a difference between the, the people you're trying to recruit necessarily. It's, it's internally and how you respond to them and setting up a more maybe caring, empathetic, compassionate workplace where you aren't just trying to find someone who you can imagine yourself going to get a drink with after work, right? So no, no I guess the real that. work I don't is I want to go get a drink you. with anybody after work. I want to go home. Yeah. There, I said it. Yeah. No, but I think, I think you know, we, we've talked about that in other episodes as well. Um, I, I do think it's about looking at ourselves as whether it's being a colleague or a leader to anyone. And are we doing all we can to be inclusive? Are we helping the people we work with feel like we belong together, right? And it's, it's organizations where you don't see that, that they aren't connecting maybe to, you know, non-neurotypical talent pools, or they're not connecting to people who were formerly incarcerated. So I think that's, I don't know, I guess what, what I'm kind of taking away, especially Tracy, from what you just talked about is that the, the ownership really does need to be on the organizational leaders, and, and buying into, we, we aren't doing it well necessarily, and but we can do better, right? And you're going to potentially have really great results with all of your employees if you take some of these steps. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the last thing for me, guys, is uh, maybe... Are there future plans? I know you, this research has just been published, Colin and, and Tracy. Uh, are you doing additional research? Are you looking at other aspects maybe of the recruiting process that, that you can dive into to study? Uh, Colin, anything coming up that we can look forward to? Yeah, I, mean, I think there, there's a few different things we're looking at right now. Um, and really, I would kind of put it all under the umbrella of what are things that we can change about the recruiting process versus change about autistic talent? If you look at the literature in the past, even within up to like, you know, the last couple of years, almost all, every research article is about what can, you know, someone who's autistic do to improve their job prospects? Can they go through training? Can they learn how to interview better? You know, how, what can they do essentially to adapt or change themselves to fit into the kind of typical mold of today's recruiting world? 
And really what I think we want to do, integrate Colorado State and Higherview is really flip that script, right? What can, what can we do as, you know, Higherview as a provider of recruiting technologies, um, as, you know, leaders in the area of thinking about recruiting in general could, to say, what can we change about that world to make it just a fair and more inclusive place? And that first step, of course, with the games paper, we're looking at video interviewing to see to what extent, you know, do autistic camps perform similarly or different to the general population on video interviews? Um, and then are there any sort of accommodations and in, you know, increasingly virtual selection practices that would help equalize any differences, right? More time to prepare, better explanations of the process that they're about to go through, um, anything else that might you know, kind of equalize the playing field, right? Not a you know, autistic specific accommodation, but rather what can we change about the whole process that makes things fairer and more equitable for everybody? Yeah, I love it. Uh, Tracy, I'll give you the last word just for folks. Uh, we have a lot of people who are HR people and hiring people, employers, et cetera, listen to this show. Um, to find, learn more about your organization, how, perhaps how to get involved, what would you recommend? I am happy to take anyone's inquiries. I'm happy for anyone to, to get in touch with us at Integrate. You know, we've got our, our website, and obviously you'll be including our contact information as well. Um, but, uh, you know, we are, are eager to work with any company who wants to look at how to tap into this untapped workforce, uh, how to be more inclusive and uh, create an in environment where uh, all of their employees can bring their whole selves to work and, and be more, more successful. And we work with, with the, the coolest companies um, and this exceptional talent and, and working with, uh, collaborating with, with HireVue has been something that has been just incredibly rewarding and fun um, and talk about fit you know it, it is all about fit um, and you want to work in a company where you can make a contribution and, and make an impact um, and uh, that doesn't mean that that's every company right uh, so we we understand that but um, you know the, the good news is that more and more companies are knocking on our door to do this work and get started along this path. And so if we're gonna to continue to have more individuals who are diagnosed, the good news is that we're gonna have more, more, more places for them to ultimately work to uh, be independent and, and contributing members of, of society. So I think it's a good news story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great stuff. Uh, Trish, I love this topic. I know you do too. And. Uh, I think we need to keep on it for sure because it's uh, it's an important one, and I, I'm glad that it's being paid uh, of which it's being paid more attention. Did I say that right? I don't know. I tried to say it correctly. No, I think you're right. I would say too, if you're listening to this episode, definitely make sure you're connecting um, with both Colin and Tracy and their organizations because um, you might have a personal connection to someone who is on the autism spectrum. You might be autistic yourself. So if your organization doesn't feel like it's inclusive to anyone who is non-neurotypical, take that on yourself, right? Go ask the questions. Um, you don't have to be the CEO. You don't have to be someone in senior leadership. So that's a good place to start if you really want to make a difference um, is do the outreach on your own and, and talk to your HR department and, uh, and your leaders and make it happen in your organization. All right. Great stuff. Uh, well, thanks again to Tracy Palrudi and Colin Will, Wait, doctor. I, I'm, I want to make sure I get that out there. <laughs> Dr. Colin Willis. I, I'm, I'm going to just, you're just going to be Dr. Colin. I'll do respect. In my, in, in my world, I'm going to call you doctor every time I see you. Uh, great, great stuff. We'll put links to uh, some of these resources in the show notes, of course. 
Uh, and remember, you can get all the archives and even go back to some of the archives on shows we've done about this with uh, uh, Tim from the, the Frith Center down at Vanderbilt. We did a show with him a couple, uh, about a year and a half, two years ago now. We, we touched on some of these That's topics, right. our Special Olympic shows, Trish, we did last year. One, did. The one we did with the actual Special Olympians is, was one of my favorite shows of 2021. I'd encourage folks to find that as well. And you can find all those shows. Maybe we'll do like, we'll set up a special page for all these shows like in one place. Uh, and that's all at hrhappyhour.net. Okay, for our guests, we're Trish McFarland. My name's Steve Bowes. Thank you so much for listening to the show. And we will see you next time. And bye for now.